Sports Radio 1043 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning on a beautiful sunny day up in Fort Collins. And uh, I think it's going to be a little bit cooler this uh, Saturday and Sunday than it was the last couple days, but it's gorgeous. You need to get outside. And we've got some incredible weather coming up this week. We're going to help you get out and enjoy that, tell you what's going on. Uh, One thing, with the weather warming up again, this snow is melting really quickly. Be really careful about fires. You know, those fires are still burning up there. They're pretty controlled right now. They haven't grown. They could flare up at any time, especially with this uh, dry weather. And we want to make sure that we don't get any new ones started. There's still a lot of dead dry uh, fuel up there, so let's be careful. Hey, it's Halloween. Uh, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on how you should celebrate Halloween during COVID. But try to do something for the kids, something safe that you feel comfortable with so they can have some memories. And, uh, you know, they'll, they'll treasure those for a long time, bring some normalcy back to their life. And speaking of creating memories, the outdoors creates so many memories and bonding opportunities that you can do without uh, worrying about necessarily COVID exposure. And we're going to talk about a lot of them today. We're going to talk uh, quite a bit of fishing today. In the second hour, we're going to have quite a bit of waterfall hunting, both opportunities and what the current conditions are, and also shotgunning tips from Colorado Clays, so that'll be good. We're even going to talk about bats at one point today. I guess that's appropriate for Halloween, huh? So we got a, a great show lined up, a lot to do, so let's go right to the phones. And joining us from the Blue Quill Angler is Chris Steinbeck. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Terry. How are you? You know, I'm doing okay. It's always, you know, I know we needed that moisture desperately, but I always feel good when the sun shines. Just helps my attitude with all that smoke for a while but you know speaking of that snow uh right off the bat the flows have been low this year as everybody knows we've been uh, really low on moisture does this snow have enough impact to help the fishing at all or is it insignificant oh it definitely has an impact for sure um you what we saw this week was was so cold all week and with those lower flows, and when that happens, the water temperatures come down really fast. Um, and, you know, specifically up on the Colorado River this week, we were seeing water temperatures drop down into the upper 30s. And what that does, it's good for fishing. It will put them get a little close to winter conditions where those fish will start slowing down a little bit on their feed um, and start sitting in a little softer water instead of the faster riffles in the rivers. Um but, yeah, and it's all, you know, this time of year, Terry, as you know, it's so much weather dependent on these rivers and for fishing. And when we get those cold snaps, it can really, really spice fishing up a little bit. Yeah, it really does. It kind of sets them up, like you said, that makes them aware that winter's on its way. And then you get a nice week like we've got coming and a little cooler water, but maybe a little warming. And things can really pop sometimes, uh they can almost get into a hyperphagia state where they're trying to fatten up a little bit for the winter. And are the browns pretty well done spawning in most places? Yeah, pretty much they're done. This is post-spawn. Um, we're still seeing a few here and there up on the Colorado, uh, but the majority it seems like of the population's done and they're in the post-spawn mode now. Well, and while you're talking about the Colorado, does that mean you're moving away from the streamers then and going more to maybe nymphs? Yeah, you know, doing a little bit of both. Streamers are still going to be good options here for the next couple of weeks. 
Um, and especially, as you just mentioned, this forecast for the upcoming week is going to be warm again. And so with that cooler water, with the warmer air temperatures, fishing is going to be great this coming week um, with not just streamers, but as you mentioned as well, fishing with smaller nymph rigs and smaller midge rigs. Um, those are going to be really prolific right now. You know, you and I talked earlier in the week, we didn't bring this up, but has the upper Colorado been affected by those fires at all? I mean, there's probably been some limited access. Have you seen any, has the fire affected the water at all? I haven't seen it affect the water too much. Um, you know, we're, we were kind of holding off on the really upper parts of the Colorado by the town of Partial and Hot Sulphur Springs, just out of respect for the firefighters and everything that was going on up there. Um, now, typically after these fires, what we get a little nervous on is, you know, next spring when we get our runoff happening and all the melt happening and having that ash and that silt get poured into the river. Um, so I think it's one of those things, Terry, where time's going to tell on that. Um, but right now it doesn't look like it's been affected too much. No, hopefully, and hopefully we won't get that. But, you know, I'm, we're looking at, you know, the Pooter, possibly the Big Thompson. It might have got spared, but the Colorado – um, there's going to be a lot of waters affected. Um, Colorado right now, if you were going to go fish the Colorado, are you still floating it or are you trying to walk wade? What are you doing? Yeah, so we're still floating it, but with the flows as low as they are, and um, they're just a little over 400 cubic feet per second below the town at Kremlin. And put that in perspective, that's a really low flow this time of year. So the float trips are still going, but you just got to be a little bit cautious because there's a lot of rocks sticking out of the river right now. Um, and having said that, it's tailor-made right now for the walk-wade fishermen. There's not too many times of the year where you have a lot of access and you can cross the Colorado and get to really good areas. But right now, you could take advantage of those low flows, and you could get to some sweet spots of the river. You can cross over, and you could do a lot of great fishing right now with those low flows, whether it's from a boat or from, you know, your foot when you're walk-wading it. And a lot of times when the flows are like this, I find it's pretty uh, nice way to come up and down the river is to go in a float, but then take the boat to shore and fish some of those key areas, then get in the boat and drift down to another. Do you do some of that? Yeah, absolutely. Get the boat, you know, kind of use it to get to spot to spot. And right now, you can use these low flows for um, a big advantage for yourself and the fact that with the low flows, you can really see the bottom contour of the river. You could find the little shelves, the little buckets, the little drop-offs in the river that normally with high flows you can't see. And so a lot of times my outlook on really low flows is I could go find a lot of those shelves in areas I fish, and then next year when the flows are high, those shelves and those buckets are still there. You can't see them as well, but the fish know they're there and they'll always be in them. We do the same thing on lakes, too. You know, when the reservoirs are down, we actually walk the reservoirs. And I'll actually take pictures of dry areas on reservoirs that I know will be underwater when I fish them next year and put them uh, right on a map and with a GPS coordinate. It's amazing the research you can do, and it's fun. Now, before we leave the Colorado, if somebody is heading out in this nice weather we got coming, I know it'll be a little bit hatch-dependent, but any particular flies you'd recommend? Yeah, right now, what I would throw up on the Colorado is I'd throw an egg fly, um, and I'd throw little small midges like size 20s, even down to size 22s. Um, top secret midges are really good. Um, little black beauties could be really good on the Colorado. Um, pheasant tails, you know, you just, as an angler, you want to kind of go a little bit smaller as the water gets colder. 
Yeah, and I, I the only problem I have with that is that I can't see the hole in the eye of those little flies that <laughs> I am. <laughs> they I, are, need to they throw, are tiny. I need to throw an I need to throw an indicator or a bigger fly with them so I can follow them. But you're right, you know, <laughs> it's, it's time to change up. Let's switch gears a little bit. I know the flows on the South Platte have been pretty low. What's going on through that through those stretches? Yeah, so the flows are um, at about 80 cubic feet below Cheeseman Dam, um, and so that makes Cheeseman Canyon and Deckers running right at 80 cubic feet per second. Um, the, relatively speaking, that's a low flow there as well. Now, Denver Water did bump up the flows this week to 80. They came up from 50, and I know that doesn't sound like a huge bump, but that it was a big increase for the river, and the fish really liked it. Um, and so on the South Platte right now, uh, as anglers, you want to target the deeper water. There's a lot of really skinny water on the South Platte with these lower flows. So you want to target the deeper water. And similar to the Colorado, you want to start throwing small flies. Um, on the South Platte, whether you're at Deckers or Cheeseman Canyon or up on the Dreamstream or 11 Mile Canyon, midges are going to be the go-to food source for a lot of these fish for the next several months. Um, and so, again, you could throw an egg fly first. Um, that's going to start tapering off probably the next few weeks. And then our game plan is going to be throwing a lot of small midges, small little mayfly nymphs. Um, on the right day, if you get a nice cloudy day, Terry, you can get a little dry fly fishing at Deckers right now. Um, and that typically happens right after about lunchtime, close to about 1 o'clock. And you could throw a standard fly and fly fishing called a parachute atoms. And uh, that fly will catch you a lot of fish when those fish start rising. No, you're absolutely right. I'm, you made one comment that I really like, and that's that for the next several months. And I want to switch gears and talk about fly tying here in a minute. But before I do that, um, there's no reason to put away the long rods in Colorado. You're going to get days when you can fish all winter long. Um, I've had some of my best fly fishing trips. Uh, it was like 10, 15 below or more one weekend. The next weekend it warmed up a little bit, and I was able to find stretches of river where the fish were just stacked up in pools. That was on the uh, the Big Thompson, but it happens mm. on a lot of rivers. There's no reason not to try to get out a few days all through the winter, is there? Oh, you, you got that right. We fish all year long. Um, and Terry, you hit the nail on the head. Um, a lot of times in the winter months as it gets really cold and you get those warm stretches and, you know, as you get deeper in the winter, warm stretch might be 35 to 40, 45 degrees outside. But if you get two, three days of that warmer weather, those fish will respond greatly. And, um, you know, very similar to what we're seeing this coming week. We have a nice weather trend coming, get out and fish. And, uh, all winter long, if you see some nice weather coming, that's your opportunity. Um, your opportune moment, and uh, you go catch quite a few fish. Again, throwing small, and, and, and those, in those winter months, target the really slow, deeper water. That's where those fish will congregate all winter long. No, you're absolutely right. Now, we have a lot of people that are new to the outdoor activities this, this uh, because of COVID. A lot of people have gone back to going hiking, going fishing, going camping, or they've, they're doing it for the first time. And a lot of them may not want to get out and fish during the winter, but fly tying lends it, fly fishing lends itself to another activity, and that's tying some of your own flies. I think a lot of people are going to need those kinds of recreation where they can do something indoors and be setting themselves up for an outdoor experience. How do you help people uh, at the Blue Quill get started fly tying, and how expensive is it to get started? 
That's a great question. Um, fly tying is such a fun hobby. Um, a lot of us do. We do it all winter long. Obviously, this year with COVID, it was so great. Um, and we get so many people who just, they're a little intimidated, started out trying to tie their own flies. Um, up here at our shop up in Evergreen Terry, we run fly tying classes all winter long. And we have fly tying classes for people who've never done it before, don't even know what it's about. And we have tying classes for guys who are pretty proficient tying flies, but they want to learn how to tie a different pattern or two or tie those more complex streamer patterns. Um, it's a really, really fun hobby. And um, like I said, Terry, we run classes all winter long. We're going to start them up here right before Thanksgiving, and uh, they will continue all winter. And, um, yeah, and like I said, no skill necessary. You don't need to have your own equipment, anything like that. We supply everything for you just to get you going. Now, now how in terms of how much – yeah, yeah. yeah that, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, so in terms of the cost of getting going, um, you can get everything you need from a vice to the tools to – um, the materials to actually tie the flies, and you're looking probably about the 100 to 125 dollar mark for an introductory set. Um, it sounds pricey, but once you get into it and you see how much materials and tools there's involved in this, um, it's actually a really good deal, and and it starts a lifelong hobby that's super addicting. Well, there's a couple of things that come from it. First, even if you're just tying a standard fly, like you talked about an Adams, a parachute Adams earlier. Even if you're just tying a common fly like that and you go catch a fish on it, it's, there's something special about catching the fish on the fly you tied. But then you get to create things. You get to go and say, hey, if I tweak this, if I did this, I wonder if I'd catch more fish. Now, I, I sometimes wonder if it just happened to be over an active fish, but you still feel good about it. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's such a cool feeling. It, it is. And it's, you know, another big advantage of tying flies is you start to understand what the real aquatic insects look like in the rivers and the lakes we have here in Colorado, and you have a better idea of what you're trying to emulate. And so when you take that to the river, you know you have your fly that you tied up and you're really happy and excited to use it, but when you have the confidence knowing that it looks like a lot of the other bugs in the river that the fish are actually eating, it's, it's such a cool feeling. And when we get people to catch f- fish on their own flies, whether it's from our tying class or on a guided trip, it is, it's so rewarding and it's, it's fun. And, yeah, it's a, uh, once you get going, you, you won't second-guess yourself tying flies. Okay, I got to tell you really quick, I know we're running out of time, but one of my fly tying experiences, this goes back over 20 years when I was first starting to tie flies. I came to fly fishing later in life, and I had tied some of the common flies, and I decided to do an elk hair caddis. And packing that hair, of course, after I tied it, it blew up. I don't know what it looked like, but I put it in my fly box (laughs) anyway. And so Karen and I were up at Rocky Mountain National Park, and she was just learning to fly fish. And she, she said, tie on something you don't care if I break it off because I'm probably going to get hung up a lot. So she went down a little stretch of river where I could see her and I tied that fly on and I'm down just, I'm, I'm uh, up river from her just a little bit and I'm making what I think are these perfect casts and drips with a great presentation. I'm getting nothing, right? She's already got like five fish on that elk hair, whatever it was supposed to be. And I thought, well, you know, there's not another fly like that in the world. So I'm digging through my box, and it was a compartmentalized box, not a foam box. 
to find okay. something, and I tipped the box over, and about, I don't know, 40 flies fell in the river. And as they're going oh. down, I was getting a real nice drift then, and they were eating them. So it was... <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Chris, we got to go, but if people want more information, how do they get a hold of you? Yeah, if you guys have any questions on fly fishing or fly tying or any of the classes that we're going to hold here at the Blue Quill Angler, call our shop up. You can reach us at 303-674-4700. You can find all this information on our website at www.bluequillangler.com. And, of course, we're going to have this on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram, all that. And... Basically, if you have any questions or we can help you get into fish in any sort of way, call us. It's what we're here for. We're more than happy to help. All right, my friend, we will talk to you again soon. Awesome. Thank you, Terry. It's great talking to you. You bet. Chris from the Blue Quell Angler. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Growing up and still having fun in the outdoors, we're going to go right to the phones. Joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Tina Jackson, and she wants to talk to us about bats. And, Tina, why do you want to celebrate this creature that's going to fly into my bedroom at night, bite me in the throat, and suck my blood, and it has no value in the world except that it's Halloween? Hi, Terry. <laughs> um, I want to celebrate it because it's Bat Week. I always come and talk to you on Bat Week. I know you do, and obviously I'm being facetious. I actually like the bats because they fly around in my yard when I'm out in the summer and eat the mosquitoes, so I like that. So, And bats yeah. are cool, yeah. aren't they? Bats are cool, aren't they? They're, they're very cool. I mean, they're, they're spectacular to have around. There's, there's so many neat things about their biology, but then I think most importantly, you know, they're, they're important. Those bats flying around your backyard, they're eating insects all night long. And, you know, in other parts of the world, they're, they're pollinating um, different sorts of plants. They're um, dispersing seeds for other things. And all of these are different sorts of food that we rely on. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. And they have a place in the ecosystem, like every animal. And, you know, we need to celebrate all types of wild animals because they all play a part in keeping our balance in our, our ecosystem. And it is bat week. And you do celebrate it because it is Halloween. Yeah. And Halloween is, you know, we think of bats and all that. Um, are are we in danger from bats? Now, I know that any wild animal can carry, like, rabies or something. But overall, very few instances do bats pre- uh, present any danger. Is that right? That's right. That's exactly right. Now, if you, you know, if you wake up in the middle of the summer and there's a bat in your bedroom, that is something you do want to be concerned about. But generally, the bats, they, they're like with most wildlife, we say they are more afraid of us than they, than we are of them. And it's very true with bats. So they, we pose more of a risk to them um, than honestly they do to us. But there is, there is a concern with rabies. Um, but generally they're doing us more good than harm. I mean, just the number of mosquitoes one little brown bat can eat in a night is, is saving me a ton of, of calamine lotion. So, and also maybe West Nile too. So, I mean, there's yeah. a lot of things, there's a lot of things. Um, I want to talk a little more about bats themselves, but there, was, there is a disease that's been going around, the white nose disease. Has that showed up in Colorado yet? 
It hasn't. That's one of the places we at Parks and Wildlife has been spending a lot of time um, working with bats on. In that this disease, white nose syndrome, it's caused by a fungus, and it showed up in North America in New York State back in the winter of 06. And what happens is most bats in North America hibernate during the winter. So they tuck themselves into a cave or a mine or into a little crack, and they sleep away the wintertime because there's no bugs around to eat. So when they go in and hibernate, they're shutting their system down, and this fungus kind of takes hold. And it, it eats away at their wings. It causes them to get really itchy. It forces them to wake up in the wintertime, and they burn through those fat reserves too fast and, and end up dying. And we estimate that there have been about probably at least 7 million bats that have died in North America um, so far. We have, we've been watching for it in Colorado over the last few years. It's shown up in Wyoming and Nebraska and Kansas and Oklahoma and Texas, um, but we have yet to find it here in our state. We've done a lot of testing for it, and we're still, our bats are holding strong. So um, we're going to, you know, keep our fingers crossed that we can keep that fungus from coming into the state and keep our bats healthy. Well, that's that's good. Give me one really neat, interesting fact about bats that maybe people don't know. Do you have one for me? I'm catching you. I'm putting you on the spot here. I know. Oh, you you are putting me on the spot. Um, one interesting fact about bats. Um, you know, one one myth is bats can't see. We talk about blind as a bat, and bats actually see about as well as we do. Um, even even with my glasses, they see as well as I do. They just have this superpower of being able to fly around and and use sonar to track things. And if we had the ability to use sonar, honestly, we would use that instead of sight in most cases as well. So it just, that sonar helps them at night, but they see just fine. All right. Well, bat viewing can actually be very fun. We have some tremendous flyouts where the huge, I don't know if you call them flocks or, or whatever of bats will come in and out of caves. But unfortunately during bat week, they're probably already starting to hibernate. Is that right? When can we view right. bats in Colorado? Right. Yeah, here in Colorado, we have about 18 species of bats. Um, 13 of those actually go and hibernate. And they're, they're tucked up, especially with that snowstorm we had last weekend. They're tucked up in their hibernation sites, and they're, they're down for the count. Um, but the rest of them migrate out during the summertime. So our bats will start waking up or they'll start coming back into the state in late March, depending on our spring weather. And so starting by about May, we can, we can see those flyouts. Um, here along the Front Range, some of the fun places to go are just some of the bridges over, over the rivers. Um, bats will tuck up into some of those spots, and you'll see them fly out in the evening. Um, around the state, there's a, a big cave down in the San Luis Valley called the Orient Mine, and we have about a quarter of a million bats that hang out in that cave every summer. Um, and then we've got a number of sites across the state that you can go to. But this time of year, one of the one of the plugs I'll put for seeing bats is if you if you get over to the Denver Zoo and they have a wonderful bat cave um, set up with bats that are awake all year round. That sounds awesome. Is there information on Parks and Wildlife's website on bats? There is. We have a we have a great page on Bat Week itself. Um, one of the things I like to point out on that page is that we also are asking the public to let us know whenever they see bats, especially over the winter time, because that's one of those symptoms of white nose syndrome. So it has the phone number and the email address. Um, we call them the bat line within the agency. Um, but yeah, over on our website, you can find information about Bat Week. 
All right. Thank you for joining us. It's always interesting, and I like mm-hmm. to give you a hard time, and I won't give the bats a hard time anymore. Thank you, Tina. Yeah, thanks for having me. You bet. Tina, Tina Jackson from Parks and Wildlife. And bats are interesting. If you've ever seen one of those huge flyouts, it's just incredible. I mean, the sky will get almost black with bats down by some of those big caves. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. Jim Crosby died way too young. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. You know, if you need something, Jack's has got it with locations up and down the front range. Let's go right to the phones. And joining us from Golden Gate Canyon State Park is Todd Farrell. Good morning, Todd. Good morning, Terry. How are you? You know, I'm doing great. I always feel good when the sun is shining. I feel better when I'm out in it, but at least I feel good about sending people out into it. Um, Golden Gate Canyon State Park is always, I've always thought it's just the neatest place. You're so close to the metro area, yet once you get there, you, you make one turn and you're, you're in the wilderness. But I want to talk more about the park. But before I do that, you guys have a, an event that comes up every year where you allow an, a limited number of families to go out and really create a, a Christmas tradition. Tell us about that. Yeah, that's right, Terry. So we have our annual uh, Christmas tree cut coming up on December 5th. Um, it's a great family tradition to start or continue, and it also helps us with uh, forest management, thinning, and reducing fuels to improve the overall health of the forest. So starting tomorrow, November 1st through November 15th, you can go to cpwshop.com and log into your account or create a new account, and we were going to have a uh, successful, or I'm sorry, a, uh, a, it's kind of like the big game draw, but it's a draw for a Christmas tree. Um, they're $35, and they're limited to one per household, so many more families can enjoy this uh, tradition. Successful draw no. applicants will be notified. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, successful draw applicants will be notified uh, by email. So we're, we're running it similar to uh, a big game limited draw license. Now, is the $35 only charged if you get the draw, or is there a fee for registering or trying to get in? There is no application fee. The $35 is only charged if you're successful in the draw. And then when can you actually go cut the tree? So there's one day and one day only, and that's Saturday, December 5th. It's typically the first Saturday in December. Okay. And it's limited hours. I think it's like 9 to 3. So, you know, people, if you sign up, this is a great opportunity to take the family out, pick out your tree, whether it's a Charlie Brown tree or the tree you've, the perfect tree you've been looking for. But don't sign up unless you can go on that day and get the tree. Let as many families take advantage of this. And I think one of the neat things about going to cut a Christmas tree, when I was very young, I lived in northern Minnesota. And, of course, we had access to a lot of wooded areas. We would do that. You never probably get that perfect tree, but it's a different experience, isn't it? It is. And, you know, trees do grow a little bit different in nature. So you're not going to find the perfect Christmas tree farm tree out there. Um, But people surprisingly bring a lot of good-looking trees in there every year. This is our 15th year uh, for the tree cut. I know. My wife, Karen, used to want to put one tree in the house that was pretty well perfect, and then she put one out on the patio that was called the Charlie Brown tree that was usually a scrawny little (laughs) thing that was left over somewhere. And, you know, all those kind of traditions, you know, they're just fun. And, you know, the smell of a fresh tree in your house and you know you have to take the safety precautions but they're really really are a lot of fun uh give us those dates again give us the dates again and then let's talk more about the park 
Yeah, so again, starting tomorrow, uh, November 1st through November 15th is when the draw will be available on cpwshop.com. And then it ends on the 15th. Successful no- applicants are notified after that. And then the actual cut day, one day only, is Saturday, December 5th. All right. So hopefully a lot of people will get to take advantage of that. Let's talk about the park. I started out by saying I, I love the park because you head up, you're virtually in the metro area, and you take that turn on the Golden Gate Canyon uh, Road, and you feel like you're in the mountain wilderness, and then you climb as you go into the park, and there's there's trees and ponds and wilderness and camping. What are some of the amenities and activities the park has to offer? Yeah, thanks, Terry. So it's a, it's a wonderful park. It's the third largest park in CPW system at 12,000 acres. Um, we've got hiking opportunities, fishing opportunities, camping. We even have cabins and yurts that are available for rent year-round. Um, the park has 35 miles of trail. We have mixed conditions this time of the year, so I would highly recommend bringing some traction devices. But when we do get a big dump of snow, it's a great place to come and uh, snowshoe or cross-country ski in some areas as well. Yeah, and it's just a beautiful park. Is your campgrounds open year-round? Campgrounds are open year-round. And one of the unique things about uh, Golden Gate is our kind of plethora of activities for the camping experience. Our backcountry camping is closed right now due to high fire danger. But in a typical year, you can hike into a backcountry campsite, and you can stay at the Harmson Ranch, which is a four-bedroom, holds eight people with linen service um, experience. And we have everything in between. Yeah, and it's just uh, it, it's hard to describe the pine trees and the wilderness feeling when you're there. You really do feel like you're you're uh, you're not you're not anywhere close to the metro area. But how close are you from downtown Denver? Forty five minutes, maybe. About an hour. Yep, it's about twenty five miles, and you do truly get that backcountry experience when you're in the backcountry of Golden Gate Canyon State Park. Yet you're so close to the metro area. It's it's truly a unique experience. And you have a nice visitor center, too. Tell people about that. We do, yes. The visitor center has uh, a lot of educational displays, um, as well as other activities for young kids and things like that. Uh, We are open Tuesday through Sunday as we start our winter hours, starting November 1st, uh, 9 to 4. All right. And before I let you go one more time, when does it start and where do they register to see if they can come cut a Christmas tree? So anybody interested in our participating in our annual Christmas tree cut uh, needs to go online to cpwshop.com starting tomorrow. Now, it won't be open until tomorrow, November 1st, and it will close on November 15th. And that's to register for a tree permit. And the actual cut date is December 5th, December 5th only. All right. Todd, thanks for joining us. You have a great park there. It's just a pleasure to enjoy it. So thank you for coming on with us. Thanks, Terry. Always enjoy your show, and uh, take care. You bet. It's Todd Farrell from Parks and Wildlife. I tell you what, if you haven't, take this, you're looking for something to do on a nice day, and you just want to get out for a drive, go up and drive through Golden Gate Canyon State Park. You will be just amazed how beautiful it is, and you'll see ponds that you can fish in. You'll see the trees and the hiking trails, and even if you just Stop once in a while and look around. It is so beautiful up there. And I've gone up there and I've seen a bobcat running up a hill. I've seen deer. There is actually some hunting opportunities on the park. I don't know if they're open this year or not with the fire restrictions. But it's a beautiful, beautiful place to go. 
Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Locations in Fort Collins, Loveland, Lafayette, Broomfield, Cheyenne. And remember, they have a second store in Loveland now on 104.3 The Fan. Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Um, if you fish, hunt, kayak, you know, if you're getting ice fishing, we're going to be talking a lot of ice fishing coming up in the next few weeks. We're going to have some of the most renowned ice fishermen in the world on the show. We always do, like Dave Gents, and we had Steve Panaz on. We'll get Bro Brosdahl on. We'll get the locals, Nate Zielinski here, Brad Peterson. We're going to talk a lot of ice fishing. Uh, Austin Parr is a great ice fisherman. We're going to talk a lot about that as things coming up. You can get all that gear at Jack's Outdoors. Let's go to the phones now. And joining us, um, it's a very familiar place, but some new faces or new voices. Uh, we're going up to the Lake John uh, Resort, and the new owner and his wife, Mary, Doug Gibb. Good morning, Doug. Hey, good morning, Terry. How are you? I'm doing well, but i, I got to ask you how the M's were able to convince you that the best time to become a new lodge owner was going into winter? Well, some of that had to do with the <laughs> SBA. Uh, the SBA, as you know, uh, with the CARES Act, it took everything took longer because uh, we were supposed to close, you know, the end of August, beginning of September. And we didn't, we didn't close until the 16th of October. Well, anyway, um, you guys sound like great people. Welcome. I hope it's great. I'm sure you've got lots of plans and dreams for the place. Um, a little bit about uh, you've been an outdoor enthusiast your whole life, pretty much. You told me when I talked to you earlier. That's correct. I've always been an uh, avid camper. My wife and I, we've gone winter camping, obviously, uh, you know, summer camping. We always like to backpack in. We like to snowshoe. We like to ski. And we like to snowboard. And we've got two dogs and, and, to keep us going. Uh, yeah, and I love the outdoors. We're going to get a great exposure to it. You know, all kidding aside, um, Lake John is a year-round destination where North Park is. There's great activities there on a year-round basis. Um and I'm sure, and I know you told me that the previous owners, the M's, are going to help you make a smooth transition. They were very nice people. We we've enjoyed the owners up there. I'm sure we'll have a great relationship. We'll get you on. What's happening up in North Park right now? You had some bitter cold weather. Did you form some ice? Well, it's it's funny you say that because uh, yesterday, seventy percent of uh, Lake John was covered in ice, and this morning when I woke up, only about thirty percent of it is covered in ice. So we've had some warmer temps after that really cold snap of, you know, minus 28, minus 14 nights. Uh, and the same with Delaney Putes, uh, all three of them, east, south, and north. Those uh, were totally ice covered, and I haven't been there this morning, but I imagine some, maybe some of that ice might have rescinded as well. So that will mean there's still open water fishing for a while, which is typical of this time of the year. Before we get to the fishing and the activities and your amenities, um, how is access up there? I know some of the roads were closed previously for fires and things. Have you got good access now? Has there been any effects from the fire? Can you bring us up to date on that? Yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, if you're coming in from Laramie, 230 is open. Fort Collins, uh, obviously on 14, uh, is open. Uh, but uh, Colorado 125 between Rand and Granby is still closed due to the fire. So you can come around on 940 to 14, which actually is the, the fastest route to go anyway. So you got good access. Any of ill effects in your area from the fires? 
Uh, no, I mean, other than, you know, yes, driving, you can see the, the remnants of it, but it's, it really feels almost unaffected. Uh, we, we barely had any smoke up here, uh, and people were able to get in and out, even with the cold weather, uh, snap, uh, we had RVs coming in, uh, still, so, yeah, no, no issues there. And speaking of uh, the cold snap and all that, you, the, you said the lakes are opening up. What about the roads? Uh, are the roads very passable? Uh, are they, they're not in any, they're in good shape coming up? They're in great the shape coming up, yeah, coming up, you know, on the county roads, yeah. No, they, they, they plowed it within 12 hours, and uh, it, it's, you know, pretty much melted off now. So it's, it's clear in open roads. Good. Now, the fishing, I had been hearing reports over the last two, three weeks that the fishing at Lake John had been just phenomenal. Lots of big fish being caught. The action was really picking up. Um, probably it's going to be iffy if you want to bring a boat out because we don't know what the ice conditions are going to be. But there should be a lot of shore angling in the North Park area yet. What has the fishing been like? Oh, it's been phenomenal. I mean, people are literally pulling out, you know, eight to ten pound trout uh daily and uh, most of them are you know catch and release because remember there's a uh four possession limit but uh, no they've been and they've been biting on everything in lake john literally everything power bait lures night crawlers you name it and that's great how about any any reports from the delaney's at all well the delaney's uh as you know are you know artificial only and uh and fly and uh, since the lake froze, obviously, uh, uh, you know, there hasn't been much open water fishing, obviously. But uh, I did see somebody ice fishing there, uh, and it was only about an inch thick, so I, I wouldn't have recommended going out. But this gentleman certainly took the chance and, uh, and was ice fishing already. Now, I would assume that we're going to see some open water. We're supposed to get some pretty uh, mild temperatures the next week or so. I would assume we'll see some open water uh, fishing yet, so people need to get up at least to Lake John and take advantage of that, and maybe the Delaney's. It sounds like just an incredible fishery and a place to go right now. Um, but when ice fishing starts, um, in the past, Lake John and some of the Delaney's and Cowdery have been destinations for ice fishing. You guys plan to stay open and take care of the ice anglers when they come up? Absolutely. We're not changing a thing. We are, uh, you know, there's obviously the ice fishing tournaments in January and February at uh, uh, Lake John and Delaney. And, uh, yeah, we we plan on uh, being one of the, the sponsors of that. And and uh, ice fishing at Lake John, I actually, if people go to my YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, there are a couple different shows that feature some ice fishing right on Lake John. Uh, that we did extremely well. In fact, uh, the late Charlie Meyer did a, a Sunday post piece on me. It was the whole back page, and it was all uh, all all the photographs were taken right on Lake John as we were out there fishing. Now, tell us about the store and your amenities, and what's remind people what you have to offer. So, and what we have is you know a thirty uh, lot RV park that is open year round. Obviously, no water, uh, but we can fill you up. We've got a general store that has pretty much everything that you uh, would need to fish, to camp, uh, and obviously to eat. Uh, we've got four cabins, uh, and we've got a suite. And uh, they are right now full. We have been, we've been full every week uh, 
well, pretty much all summer and all fall, and uh, until fourth rifle, we're we're full. I, I got to tell you that I was kind of disappointed, and I stayed in those cabins in the suite because I had to take about ten steps out of the door before I could cast to the lake. It is just so far away. <laughs> I mean, they really are tremendous. They're they're nice. They're comfortable, and you're 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 what I don't know, hundred yards, fifty yards from the lake. You walk down there. I mean, you're right there on the water. Whether you're, you're ice right fishing there. or ice fishing or open water fishing it's just been, and same with your rv sites i mean you're right there it isn't like you gotta go somewhere to go fishing you're there when you stay at the lake john resort it's it's tremendous um well i want to welcome you guys any comments you want to make before we let you go um no other than you know we do plan on uh increasing this the, the cabins we're going to add two more cabins this year and then hopefully two more the following year so that we can accommodate everybody that wants to come up here and enjoy the beautiful outdoor space. And you'll keep us posted on fishing conditions. Are you going to do a report like we've seen in the past? Yes. In fact, uh, you know, I'm working with Fish Explorer, Matt Schneider, and uh, in fact, I'm going to go up to Big Creek Lakes on Tuesday and take some pictures up there as well and uh, and then post on Facebook and, uh, you know, many media outlets. Well, Keep us posted, and if when things when like right now when the fishing is so phenomenal, we want to let people know. Get them out there. There's access, folks. They're catching big fish and numbers of fish at Lake John. You've still got some open water, at least from shore for a while, and I think the ice fishing season is going to be just phenomenal on Lake John this year. When you get true good fishable first ice, which usually happens around the Thanksgiving time, I think it's going to be a, just a, a must destination for the early ice fishermen. So we'll keep us posted on all that. We'll get you back on as conditions change. And, and congratulations and good luck, and I hope you enjoy it, and it turns out, out, to, be, out to be your dream, Doug. Terry, thank you so much. We look forward to it. All right. We'll have you on again soon. You and your wife, Mary, are all our best, and thank you so much for joining us. That's Doug Gibb and his wife, Mary. They're the new owners of the Lake John Resort. Uh, you know what? We've been fortunate. That's a great area, that North Park area. A couple entities that we work with up there, the people at Lake John and the people at North Park Anglers. And we've been so fortunate that the whole chain of ownership and people and all those locations has always been phenomenal. You go up there and you really get treated so well by all those entities. And it, it, every indication is these guys are going to be there. I talked to them at length earlier in the week. And they just seem like genuine, special people who really want to just do the best for the outdoor people. So I it just take, you know, it, get up there and stop by and say you heard, heard them on the show and take a minute and go fishing up there. It's phenomenal. Speaking of fishing and hunting, we're going to take a quick time out. And Nate Zielinski is going to join us on 104.3 The Fan. 